Jem Burau is a 24-year-old serial entrepreneur from Germany now living in Dubai. After being in the DTC space for more than four years and bootstrapping his e-commerce brands, Jem decided to invest and acquire other businesses such as marketing agencies and e-commerce brands. Join us in this exciting conversation from a young serial entrepreneur. Talk Commerce is sponsored by Haifa, or as the Europeans say, Hufa, or the right way to say it. Hufa is rapidly becoming the biggest Magento front end after Luma. For those who don't know it, Luma is the basic theme that comes with Magento and it is giantly slow. If you're looking for a template based front end with the fastest loading times in the e-commerce industry while saving costs on development time and hosting infrastructure, Hufa is your best option. Everybody loves a fast site, including Google. Improve your Google ranking and conversion rates and make your customers happy. Learn more at hyva.io. That's hyva.io. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to Talk Commerce. Today I have Jem Burrow. Jim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. If I've said your name wrong, which I usually do, please correct me. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Spot on, Brand. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm Jim Boro, 24 years old, born and raised in Germany, immigrated to the UAE, now living in Bali. Uh, what I do, pretty much e-com. I run an agency called Adcubator, pretty much a full-stack Google Ads agency where we help, you know, existing e-commerce brands to just scale more and more. I have a few e-com brands myself. Uh, I run an education company where we teach others how to start and scale their own online business. That's what I do. And uh, to my hobbies, probably traveling. This year has been a bit rough, a bit much traveling. I think like 40 plus flights this month. I still have like 10 more, uh, but got to do what you got to do, right? Excellent. Good. So I, I did warn you that uh, I have a new project that I'm doing. It's called the Free Joke Project. So before we get into our conversation, I'm going to tell you a joke, and then you just tell me if you feel as though that joke should be free or if we could charge for it. In the it's software so- world, we could call it open sourcing, or should it be behind a paywall? Okay, here we go. I'm at the airport, and there's a woman completely passed out on the baggage carousel. She's slowly coming around now. I think it should be free. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Good. All right. So, Jem, we're going to talk about a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. um, And then uh, let's just talk about, you know, why some why we should be looking at ads. Like, why should online businesses be looking at ads? Tell us, how, how did you start? Where did you start? What, what did you do? You, you came from Germany and go ahead. Yeah, pretty much started all in 2016 when I really, you know, finished school, finished high school, moved to a different city where I didn't know really anyone, uh, got enrolled into business, business economics, pretty much was in uni. And I was like, man, this is like so boring like people are telling me what i should do in business and you know they don't even have a track record or anything so why should i really listen to them to them right and that's when i originally got started watching all these youtube videos how to make money online mindset all that kind of stuff reading books cyber cybernetics and this is like really when it all clicked december 2017 this is when i started my first online business my first drop shipping store pretty much 
not successful, but kind of successful because I didn't make money from the business, but I, but I made money through selling the business. It's kind of like a pre-built business. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it all got started. Ventured into, you know, oh, why didn't it work? Well, it was because I, I was buying fake traffic on Fiverr and didn't really know what I was doing. Because, you know, in order to get actual human beings to buy something on your site, well, you should lure them to your website, not by buying fake traffic from bots, but by running ads, perhaps, right? Or even doing influencer shoutouts. So that's what I did, ventured into ads, ventured into media buying, learned how to make money, essentially, by spending other people's money first from dentists and lawyers. Uh, got actually decent results from them. Still have my OG clients from back, way, way back, 2018. And uh, yeah, had had an e-com client, and I was like, "Well, if it works for him with my ads, why shouldn't it work for my own online business?" Right? And that's when I already knew basics about consumer psychology, media buying, marketing, how a website should be how how a website should be designed for, uh, you know, how how to get them to convert and that kind of stuff. So tell us a little bit about Adcubator. Um, tell us the concept and, and how you fell into that. Yeah, so pretty much 2018, had my first freelancing clients, so to say. I was doing media buying for them, getting them clients, getting them leads. And one thing with leads is if they don't really know how to close, I mean, you can bring all the leads in the world, you know, but they have to have a website to convert them or they have to be able to call them up and close them because otherwise the leads are worth nothing. So that's pretty much when it started with Google Ads and I pretty much took every single course in the world out there. At least that's what it feels like to me. Started reading about it every single day, watched YouTube videos, read everything I could about it, not only you know on the internet but also on every social media platform, Discord, Twitter, uh, forums, all that kind of stuff. And I eventually got really good at it. I was like, hey, maybe we should take on some more clients because the results are good and maybe I should just start build a team around it so I don't have to do all the operational work, right? Because it's, I mean, it's super cliche. Don't work in the business, work on the business, and that's how it all got started. And right now the focus is just e-commerce businesses and helping them grow their revenue, essentially. And um, the um, the wow in there, how, how, how do you wow your clients? Track record, results. I mean, having, having someone who signed with you four years ago, more than four years ago, uh, I think this is pretty, it says something about the way you not only deal with your clients, but also the way you do business, about the results that you get them. And I mean, if, if I spend a dollar and they make at least two, of course, it all depends on the KPIs and their goals and everything, but let's put it very simple. Let's say I can spend $1 and get them two, why wouldn't they want to work with me? Provided after my fees, it's still profitable for them and still more profitable than being in-house or we can bring more expertise to their overall team than their in-house team. Or maybe they don't even have an in-house team, right? So we can still consult with them. Uh, you mentioned KPIs. If, if somebody's looking at uh, building out a Google ad uh, campaign, what are the top five KPIs that people should pay attention to? It's a great question because it's a very common question. What is the number one thing that people should look for? What are the most important things that people should look for? And it really depends on the niche of the business, right? Because if, if you're a dentist, well, you're probably paying a higher cost per click 
then if you're selling some fashion wear, then you're selling, you know, supplements or something. Supplements is also very high, so it's always dependent on the niche. At the end of the day, what's important is that if you have a target cost per lead or target CPA, you should hit that or you should be below that. So it's always just important to know your numbers, know when you're break even, know what you can afford, and know how much you can afford to spend, right? And then you need to look at your cash flow. Hey, like, can we even keep up these spending habits with our credit card, with the limit that we have, with our suppliers and all that kind of stuff? So, I mean, most important KPIs, if we're really talking about KPIs, first of all, I mean, cost per acquisition, CPA, right? Conversion rate, super important. If it's low, it might not be as high intent as it could be, which doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. You know, it could be also due to the nature of the, well, intent or niche of the business, right? So we have CPA, we have conversion rate. CTR is a big one that I like to look at personally. If I have an ad that is that has a click-through rate of 5% and I get it to 10, as an example, right? It means half CPA, provided all the other metrics are the same. So it's not only how can I twist my website conversion rate, because it's like these three, four levers with lifetime value especially. What can I do in the back end to increase the value? What can I do in the front end, such as targeting, such as copy, and all, all these kinds of things? As a fourth one, I'd say search impression share, because search impression share always tells you, you know, these are the amount of impressions that we're currently harvesting for the current keywords that we have. So it gives you also information on, hey, we're actually able to spend more money, get more impressions, get therefore more volume, and still be profitable. Of course, at less profit, but then you need to do the math, right? And then, then it really gets interesting because you're like, okay, we can spend more, uh, and overall it's less profitable, but we're going to have more profit volume-wise. So does it make sense with our chargeback rate? Does it make sense with our refund rate? And yeah, it's interesting topic for sure. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned um, target CPA and, and measuring and like what, is, what what is a good value for that? How how do you look at that and and then determine? Hey, you're going to have to spend a thousand dollars to be effective uh, or for an entire campaign. I you know some I would imagine some merchants are like I just want to spend a little bit of money to see what it work how it works. And my experience has been. If you spend too little, it's a waste of money because you don't get enough um, impressions. And if you spend too much, you could be a waste of money. How do you help clients kind of find that sweet spot? Yeah, so the beauty of our clients is that we're not really working with new businesses, but we're working with proven businesses and preferably even businesses that already have a Google Ads account set up and are spending money, 10, 20, 30K per month at least, preferably. So that's like the beauty of of the clientele that we have is that we just have to deal with optimizing everything and not making sure it's actually profitable and not making sure that we have to validate things. So we're basically, you know, like the plumber that comes to your house when the toilet is broken, we're fixing stuff and making it better and making it work for some time, you know, until some things come up and then we fix it again, then we will increase the lifetime value of the toilet, so to say, you know, so it works and then they don't have to come for another five years, essentially. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. If you spend too little money, you're not going to be able to validate everything, you know, and it's just going to be a waste of money. So it really depends on what the goals are. If you want to make it a solid sales channel, a solid acquisition channel, 
you should be able to invest, of course, depends on the niche and everything, could be as, as little as $500, could be as much as $5,000, right? If we're talking about collagen, could take like five to 10K. If we're talking about period underwear, could be as little as five, 5,000, 2,000, uh, sorry, 500 to 2,000. Um, so again, it's very dependent, but yeah, I mean, again, the, the beauty of, of the people that we work with is that it's already proven and it's not like, oh, we have to see if it actually makes sense. We know it makes sense. If it makes sense for the competition, why shouldn't we be able to do it with our expertise, right? Especially if they have the money. Yeah, I know. And you also mentioned doctors and lawyers. So there's a difference between having a service you're selling compared sure. to having a product you're selling. Um, how about like a SaaS product? Is there a strategy that you would do if somebody has some kind of online service that uh, that um, would have a, you know, I think SaaS products tend to be higher click rates or higher cost per click because you're, you're, you have an upfront cost, but they have some kind of subscription later. Do you advise on, hey, you're, you should spend that extra money on those clicks because you're going to be acquiring that client and that client could be a client over time? Love the question. I mean, to really dive into that and to really understand how this differentiates from all the other things such as, you know, lead generation for a dentist or marketing for an e-commerce business. Uh, okay, let, let's dive into it. For an e-commerce business, you want to be profitable first purchase, right? You want to be able to be profitable once someone buys and not through retention. Of course, they could be able, you could be able to you know, be profitable through retention, but the goal should be to be profitable first purchase. With lead generation, it's always depending on how the funnel looks like. Let's say you have people reach out, an appointment setter, whatever, an assistant that does that. You also need to take a look at what the close rate is, you know, how, how qualified the leads really are. So this is these metrics that we like to look at. And for a SaaS, of course, it's first, pro first purchase is most likely not gonna be profitable depending on the size of the deal. So to say if it's for a subscription that is $10, $20, you're most likely not going to be profitable within the first month. But if we're talking about like 20, 30, $50,000 tickets, if we're talking about something such as HubSpot, for example, where the ticket size is just tremendous, of course, that's something different. If we're talking about Monday and Asana, man, they have a click war and they don't really care if they're profitable because there are these huge funded companies by by all these VC-backed giants, right? And for them, it's only about real estate being visible and, and stealing market share. So if the goal is to be profitable, then you need to look at the lifetime value that you have, at the churn that you have, and then you should be able to figure out the math. If competitors in the niche are advertising and you know they are not VC-backed, most likely it should work. But again, it always depends on the metrics. But this is like the three, well, pretty much the three different niches, so to say, on Google Ads, and the most common ones, of course. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing you saying is that there's not a set there's not a set uh, formula for any of these, that it's all sort of, you have, everybody has their own little scenario, and yeah. Google Ads is complicated, and you need an expert to help you through a lot of this, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you need to know your numbers. That is the most important thing. If you don't know your numbers, then, you know, even if you think you have profitable ads, you don't know for a fact if they're profitable. So I think this is this is the number one given priority. 
You actually need to know what's going on inside your business, and then you can start making a game plan to go to war. Um, I know that uh, you also do besides Google, you'll you'll do ads for TikTok and Snapchat and and other and other platforms like that. How do you how do you see those growing and happening? Do you see Snapchat as something that's going to be something that people would want to look at in 2023, or do you think that TikTok is going to be the new thing that takes over? Yeah, I think TikTok is the one taking over right now. Snapchat is not really a main sales channel for us for our brands, but it's more supplementary, you know. Because if we already have the creatives in the right format for TikTok or for Instagram Reels, then wouldn't it be smart of us to use the exact same creatives on a platform where you need the exact same format, you know? And we already know they're converting on another platform, so it's just about all about that omni-channel marketing, just about expanding. I don't think Snapchat is going to be the number one thing. Uh, quite honestly, I think Facebook, in terms of attribution, is getting better again. And I mean, we've we've seen the the decrease, the decline of the stock price uh, last week, but TikTok is definitely taking the lead. Um, for for the best bang for your click, so let's say service business is is. Um LinkedIn, uh, if you're doing B2B, something like that, LinkedIn's still the place to go for, for a service-style business? I'd say LinkedIn is good. B2B, you know, it doesn't tend to be low-ticket, but more like high-ticket, higher deal sizes. It really depends on, on the marketing budget and the way you want to split it, right? Because it's not about is it the best. It's about how can we make sure that we're using the budget efficient so i'd say testing seeing what works and doubling down on that we haven't made too much experience too many touch points with linkedin besides posting organically um what i've seen what i've read what i've heard linkedin is a good place for b2b but so is google right i know you mentioned earlier hubspot so i kind of brought back that idea that anybody yeah, yeah. buying hubspot is going to be a business or if you're selling to somebody else you're probably a business selling to a business uh, for like a marketing purpose. Um, good. So you know, let's go back to the your entrepreneurial journey. Um, tell us a little bit about the energy and the passion that sort of drives you. Yeah. So to begin with, let's maybe go a bit further back. A few years growing up, you know, not really having anything, not being able to get any birthday gifts because of my parents not having any money. Didn't grow up in, in the best place. And I remember when I was 18, there is a quote in my yearbook where everyone was asking, hey, where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, and I, I thought, ha, I'll be funny, I'll just write millionaire. But I think to every lie, there's always some kind of truth behind it, you know? Because like, oh, like, I went to this really good school, which wasn't a private school, but some of the parents drove their kids to school, you know, or, or some of them were 18, so they could drive a car ready. Some of them took their parents' Porsche, their parents' G-Wagon, their parents' Lambo, and I'm like, well, <laughs> there is that, you know? So it all started off with really making money, being able to do whatever I want, being able to not be dependent on anyone or anything besides myself and my own skills, because I'm the one who's making my own luck. But, you know, as soon as I started to make money, I was like, well, this is quite nice, but, <sighs> It, 
you're you're just chasing highs. You're chasing one high and another high and another high, and it's like you want more and more and more. And at some point, it's it's not about money. At some point, it's about leaving a legacy. You know, making sure you're having an impact, making sure to not only provide yourself with a better living, but all the people around you, and just this entire big picture. Um, so the reason, so then you, you went, you left Germany, went to UAE. What was the story behind that? Uh, you want the honest answer or <laughs> any answer you want to give? The honest answer is taxes for sure. So you, you, you're, you, are you resident, you're a resident of UAE now? Yeah. So I'm resident of the UAE since last year. I'm resident of Indonesia as well. Okay. Uh, Let's just say taxes somewhere, though. (laughs) Yeah, in Dubai, and in Dubai there is no taxes, which is the benefit. You don't have personal personal tax. You don't have income tax. You don't have capital gains. You don't have any tax. There is a VAT in Dubai, which is five percent, and they recently changed the law. I think beginning of this year, where it was like if you're on the mainland, you have to pay five percent now. But I'm not on the mainland. I have a free zone company, which is the most common entity that people have because you can have an LLC and you can have a free zone company and if you have a free zone company then you're pretty much good to go and so you're registered in Dubai as a free Correct. zone company and that means that uh, uh, you you don't you must you pay don't pay tax for the company itself correct okay and then so so now you're 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 kind of on this entrepreneurial journey and you're, you're kind of going to do it from the road as a digital nomad is, is Indonesia a stopping point and you're going to go somewhere new? I think it's going to be a base for a few years, same as Dubai. Cause I just, I mean, most things I, I love about Indonesia, I, I can have a city, you know, pretty much where I'm living in Changu. I can have the jungle, which is in Uluwatu, which is like one hour, one and a half hours from here. I can go to the mountains, which is two and a half hours can go to a beach five minutes from my place. So it's more about what do you have in the city or the place that you're currently living. It's a super comfortable life. Living expenses are super cheap. Um, I don't have to deal with insanely bad weather as in Germany, for example, where it's most of the time rainy. Of course, there's good weather in Germany, but I think Bali is going to be home for, for a few years, same as Dubai. Um, and I don't think I'll ever be settling at least, at least for now, I, I see myself <laughs> never having. <say> never. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, I see myself having several bases, you know, maybe spending half a year here and then half a year here, but not traveling the entire world doing that because that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. But more so, like you know, once the time with the family and everything comes, and, and having kids and everything, then sure, you know, spending maybe half a year here, a year here, going back, going forth. Depends. I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but for now, Bali, for sure. How about team building and leadership? How do you stay connected to your team and, and making sure that you're not up all the time in the middle of the night trying to yeah. communicate with people? Good question. So to explain, we have several business entities, right? With with we, I'm talking about myself, my team, my business partners, depending on what business we're talking about. Accubator is fully operated by myself, so I'm 100% owner. I have all of the shares. And the team is in Germany in an office. And kind of have a COO that is overseeing everything. I have my assistant, which is living there as well. So it's 
it's important that you have culture within a company. If you don't have culture, the company is worth nothing because no one is inclined to work there and, just, and they're just working there for the money, not for the culture, for nothing, right? That's, that's number one. Uh, number two, it's important to delegate things, not only to your assistant, like, oh, can you book this meeting, but also making sure that you have a proper C-level in place, giving them a higher pay, giving them responsibilities, giving them ownership, because if they don't have ownership, again, they're worth nothing because they're supposed to take ownership and make sure the company is progressing and they're not only doing their nine to five, right? And that's when it really starts with incentivizing the people, perhaps with shares, perhaps with a higher salary, perhaps with other benefits. And with benefits, we're not talking about, oh, I have a PlayStation in the office and I have fruits, you know, because this is what most startups in Germany are really advertising with. Um, the other team, a lot of the... For the educational company, for example, the salespeople are in the U.S. and Canada. And this is where my business partner comes into play. We usually have meetings uh, 10 p.m. my time, which would be uh, 8 a.m. Edmonton time, right? And this is like when the daily huddle starts, where we're going to talk about who has what, maybe issues we've had, past wins we've had. Uh, so he's taking care of that side of the business. Then other businesses I'm invested in, it's more like, I'm on the board and I'm advising, and it's not like I'm really part of the team within the operational things. Um, but yeah, this is like quite honestly, when I started to travel around, it was really an issue where I was like, man, like how do I make sure that everyone is up to track, is working? How do I trust the people? You know, because at the end of the day, you have to give control. Like you're losing control. And it's, and it's this constant fight where you're, as a business owner, are like, man, like, I want to do it. And I know that if I don't do it, it's not going to get done the way I want it to. But on the other side, you're giving control to other people. And it, it's kind of like a push and pull, right? Sometimes you just have to let go and let the people do their thing. And because otherwise, they're not going to learn. And yeah, like, honestly, this clicked last year when I was traveling. And I was like... Like I need to, I need to give away ownership. I need to give away, you know, responsibilities. I can't do everything. Um, in the so, you know, I, I subscribe to the EOS model. It's entrepreneurial operating system. And in that in that world, there's a dashboard. Everybody has a number, and it's often said that as a as a as an owner or as a as the CEO, you want to know. What are the top 20 numbers? Like, so if you're stuck on a desert island, what are the top 20 numbers that you can see to make you feel comfortable that your business is running well? Do you subscribe to anything like that to help you know that all the little pieces are in place? Um, I haven't subscribed to anything, but we have sheets in place. I have my account in place. I have my C-level in place. So every day we have two types of reporting. For sales, for example, it's end-of-the-day reporting. So everyone says, hey, this is how many calls I've had. This is how many unqualified leads, blah, blah, blah. The minimalistic reporting. The in-depth one, of course, happens inside of a Google Sheet, but I'm not checking that every single day because sometimes it's about convenience, right? I want to be able to pull out my phone, go through Slack. I'm able to see, and then it's taken care of, right? I have my assistant as well. She's doing an EOD of every company, essentially, at the end of the week. I have my business partner for the education company who does the exact same thing. We have ClickUp in place. Uh, and of course, we have dashboards in place where we're able to see the progression of their respective task, if there's anything blocking. So this is pretty much where I have my EOS model, mostly within Slack. 
uh, and ClickUp because everything is being reported. I mean, if you don't have numbers, if you don't have KPIs, if you don't have dashboards, if you don't have tracking in place, then, yeah, again, you don't know what's going on inside your business. And it all kind of circles back to when I talked about Google Ads and, oh, you need to know your numbers, right? It doesn't only apply to media buying. It applies to everything. If you don't know... Okay, let's, let's do an example. Let's say I have a website, I'm, I'm doing Facebook ads, I'm doing YouTube ads, and the goal is to have people book a call and purchase something, right? Or subscribe to something, it doesn't matter. Now, let's say the people don't show up to the call, right? I need, to, I need to know how much I'm paying per lead, I need to know how much I'm paying per call, I need to know what the, what the show rate is, and if it's too low, and if I look at, at a median from whatever research paper or, you know, any qualitative data, quantitative data. And I'm like, well, this doesn't really match, and I'm way under average. I'm way below the threshold where I should be. Then you can start digging deep, you know. Then you can start doing the actual qualitative analysis and think about what is not only wrong with your funnel, but perhaps also wrong on your ads. And then you can start doing split testing. And then you're going to be able to know, well, this wasn't wrong. This uh, reduced it even more. So maybe it's on the other side of the funnel. Maybe it's the ads, right? And then you start troubleshooting that way. Right, cool. Um, so, it, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, if you have anything that you could tell a marketer or a business person who wants to, they, they, and they already have a Google ad campaign going, but they want to step it up, what would, what would be a, a piece of nugget of information you could give them to help them improve their game? Yeah, first of all, Performance Max is a really big thing right now. We haven't cracked it fully, but eventually at some point, Google is switching everything into, into machine learning, into AI. So even if you haven't fully figured it out yet, it's worth to start doing it now. It's worth to doubling down your focus there right now, because at some point, all of the manual things that you are doing inside of your account are going to be abolished and canceled and removed from the platform. We're seeing it already with smart shopping and smart display. So doubling down on Performance Max is probably the top recommendation that I can give. And that's part of Google Ads? Exactly. It's, it's a campaign type. If we're talking about Performance Max, it's pretty much this new campaign type where you have everything within one campaign type. So you have search campaigns, you have YouTube campaigns, everything excellent uh so jim as we close out the podcast i give every every interviewee an opportunity to do a shameless plug what would you like to plug today um let's go with the google ads agency if anyone needs help because that's a, a big part that we've talked about today if anyone needs help scaling their google ads agency sorry google ads campaigns um we're super happy to help just reach out on linkedin Jem Boro, J-E-M-B-O-U-R-O-U-H. Send me a message, and uh, we'll go from there and see if we can help you. Great. And I will, I will put all the links and everything on the show notes for you. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Have you been enjoying your free jokes on these podcasts? Well, let me just tell you that the jokes aren't free. They take time and effort to come up with them. Please go to wherever you download your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, and rate and review this episode. It will help so much to increase the awareness of talk commerce. Again, wherever you download your podcast, 
please rate and review it. Thank you. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.